The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Tom Radka. I actually thought about checking out of this world. But now I read an article maybe 30 years ago how an artist produces their best work between 60 and 80. So now I'm 70. I got 10 more years to go, according to that person. And it's just, I do feel I'm producing my best. Tessa, first, uh, I have to admit that I wasn't sure how this artist, Tom, going to fit with our theme of open nesters. But then I realized that he is an artist in his open nesting stage, and it's good for our audience to really hear from an artist and how he developed his own, I guess, uh, career, uh, not only as an open nester, but even beforehand. For me, this interview is a real American story, because he, he is a hardworking, his ethic is really incredible, and he was an artist before he became an open nester, but it shows the vitality of this stage of life. So let's hear it from Tom Radka. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Tom Radka. I have a surprise visitor, and I'll tell you why. So say you want to say hello to our audience? Just a quick hi. Hello, audience. <laughs> hello, audience. So I met Tom by some surprise chance because he's a very outgoing artist uh, that is self-proclaimed, uh, just turned 70 and one of the two percenters that has always made his living with art. And I just said, wow, you are such an interesting man. I was in Coconut Grove at the art festival. And I said, I really would like to interview you. So it was a pretty recent thing. Tom's never done an interview like this. And we are so honored to have you here. <laughs> the honor is mine too. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your, your journey as you especially travel and create art around your life being around art, and as you got older, how that's impacting you? Well, I would like to first start off by saying <clears throat> I grew up in a household where my father hated his job. And so I told myself, when I get to the age where I have to work for a living, I want to love my job. I want to go to work and be happy. The money thing is the least important being inspired and happy is the most important. So I um, went through high school, barely making it through. Um, you know, they didn't, back in the 50s, they didn't know ADD, right? So um, I barely made it through high school. Then right after high school, I went to the military, four years in the Air Force. And then after that, I uh, got to go, Uncle Sam paid for four years of college. And um, so I'm in school and I'm having fun and I'm getting good grades and I don't know what to major in yet. And so I'm taking everything, everything. It's just so exciting to me to not have to work a job because from 11 years old to 18 years old, I work six days a week. And You uh, worked for your dad? Who did you work for? I had I was a paper boy and then I worked in a Polish bake shop and then I sold shoes. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's six days a week. It doesn't leave me too much time to study. And I wasn't interested in studying anyway. I was interested in earning money so I could use the family car and date. 
So now I'm in college and I'm just having fun. I just love school. And I get this letter from Uncle Sam that says, declare a major or we're going to yank your benefits. It seems to be a little unfair. I put in my four years. Let me, let me take as many classes as I want. And um, so then, um, so I panicked. I'm at Kansas State. I tried to get into Ohio State, come back to my home state. But Ohio said, hey, you haven't been living in this state for four years. And I says, because of the military. And they says, we don't care. Go get your uh, resident fee at, in Kansas where you're living now. So I went to Wichita State and I said, can I get my resident fee here? And they said, no, you're from Ohio. You were only here because of the military. So for about a six-month period, I was a man without a state. So some kind soul at Wichita State says, take a continuing ed class and you'll have resident fee in Kansas. So I did that. And then after I got resident fee, I moved two hours straight north to Manhattan, Kansas, which is called the Caw Valley. It is not flat like you all think Kansas is, or many of you think Kansas is. And it's and I went to Kansas State for four years and it was so they forced me to pick a major and I says, well, I'm at Kansas State. It's a school of agriculture. I'll be an ag major. <laughs> and, um, and so I became a I have a BS in horticulture industries, thinking maybe someday I would be the man who would own greenhouses to make sure that the poinsettias bloom on time. You don't want them blooming after Christmas. You want them blooming before. <laughs> that was the goal. Okay. <laughs> that was the goal. And, um, and then what happened is I took just one clay class and the rest is history. As they say, I fell in love with it. And the clay and the exhibit that I saw was just nothing compared to what you can see on your beautiful website that everyone will get to see. And so tell us about that, the journey, especially in relation to what we like to call the Open Nesters Act 3, which is that as you got older, how has this journey really impacted the beauty of your, I think you have a, a piece that's one of your installations called the Spiral of Life. I just love the, the title of it. And I, 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 I was very drawn to your work. So that's why I'm curious how, how it came from your soul and how it evolved and why art defines you. Ceramic. Well, um, the first time I ever used the Spiral of Life title, I got the honor of making a six foot by 20 foot piece from Mercy Medical Center in Canton, Ohio. And I wanted to, and this is for the brand new ICU. So if you're visiting your friends and relatives and parents or whatever in the ICU, it's a heavy time for you. So I didn't want to just do something pretty. I had to have meaning. So I had the spiral of life to the right. And then the three lines, which is the merging of mental, spiritual, and physical. And that was the first time I ever used the spiral of life title. And, um, and now with my individual round tiles and the, that tile piece you saw at Coconut Grove is 63 inches in diameter. So um, I'm not one who titles my work a lot. Um, I'm now working with um, Sky Vodka bottles and Bombay Sapphire gin bottles. Do you remember seeing those I at the did. show? They were so beautiful. So you're not just doing ceramic and you started when, when how did the exploration not happen like just loving art and succeeding at it how did that all happen well when i first started out in clay i was a coffee cup maker colanders teapots wow. soup tureens and one day i set up a goal for myself to throw a gross of mugs in a day what is that 140 something i don't know 
I think, yeah, it's 140. <laughs> I like your response. Um, I think it's 142. And, um, and I didn't make it. And the next day when I got up, I said, you know, if you're going to try to do that, um, you know, why don't you just go work someplace else, get paid vacation, medical benefits, insurance, and all of that, you know, but you're not, you're not really following your passion here. It was in the beginning, seven years of mug making, and I'm okay if I never make another mug again in my life. I was fortunate to be living four blocks south of Ohio State at this time, which was a great place to live if you just got out of school, because there was Ohio State, a famous ceramic, a well-known ceramic department there. And um, I meet some of the students. I'm hanging out down there a little bit. And somebody says, well, if you're stuck, you should go see Norm Schulman. He's a guest artist here for two semesters. He's a great guy. And he'll help you get over this uh, speed bump of yours. And so one Monday morning, unannounced, I walked into his office with a big plate full of mugs and some bowls and some things. And I said, Norm, my name is Tom Radke. I live four blocks south of here, and I would love to be able to take a couple classes from you. And he says, okay, let's see if we can get you signed up. So Ohio State did not want me there because I was a professional and they didn't want me to use the clay, the kilns, the gas. So Norm said, and he saw the look on my face. I was totally bummed. And he says, no big deal. I'll sign you up for the class and I'll come to your house once a week to give you a critique. But when you are in a group critique in school, you might get seven minutes, you know, as he goes around to the, to the 10 different students, right? He would come to my house for a half a day. Wow. And it was like the happy day. It was Wednesdays. And it was and my youngest daughter, Ashley, she was like four or five at the time. And she would say, yeah, Norman Schulman's coming today because it was also coffee and donut day. Oh, so he would come and he would, he gave me this glaze recipe. <clears throat> and if even, even if potters walk into my booth, if clay peoples walk into my booth and they would, and I would say, how many glazes do you think I have here? Typically they say three, four, five, but because of Norm, there's only one. Wow. And he taught me all the tricks of the trade to make it matte, to make it glossy, to make it red, to make it blue. And it's like a miracle. You were talking about Betsy earlier. Bet, when Betsy's back in Grand Junction, Who's Betsy? Classes. Betsy, your, your, your wife. Betsy? My girlfriend. Your girlfriend, okay. That, that you met at Coconut Grove. I didn't get to meet her, but okay. I said, Betsy, when you go into class on uh, the, the next time you go to class, how many buckets of glaze do you have? And she said, came back and said nine. Uh, and the problem with that is that you don't remember if you put this glaze over that glaze or that glaze over this glaze or what was the combination of the glazes that you used. With this, it's all one. If I bake it to only 09, which is like 1800 and some odd degrees, it's a matte finish. If you kick up the heat a little bit more, it becomes glossy. If you break the, the blue liquor bottles and put it on there, then it's a beautiful cobalt blue. Or like right now, Margaret and I are just about to finish up a 550 tile commission for a woman's fire uh, place in Louisville, Kentucky. And... Um, I've put copper on it. So it's not going to be quite like that sofa behind you. Um, but we could also get copper reds. And it was like the miracle glaze for me. 
I have one glaze. And when people come to my school here in Ohio, that's one of the reasons they come here for the glaze. And you are in the Appalachian Mountains from what I read on your website. Is that still the case? That's when Yes. A huge, a huge space. You told me what do you have? Seven. It's like a huge barn. Seven thousand square feet. Seven thousand square feet of studio. And how how do you feel like? I mean, it's hard to compare if your life would have been different. But how? What? What is the? What is the thing that you take the most? That's the the most gratitude and grace that you have from having aged and getting older and staying so vital in your curiosity. How excited you so still are about your art. So what do you? What do you attribute that to? And how has it impacted your life and your kids' lives is what I wanted to ask you. Well, when my daughters were growing up with me, <clears throat> they're not artists right now. And I think it might have been because they saw how, how, how hard we struggled. Um, when Terry and I um, first had Ashley in Columbus, Ohio, we were pawn personal possession poor to feed the family. I wanted to be a full-time artist and Terry wanted to be a full-time mom. So early on, so that made- was a little early on, that might've been a harder example. I do wonder though, as you've gotten older, like, and your kids are now on their own, you know, what kind of view, I think you travel a lot in order to do your art, you've told me. So I'd like to hear about how you've been living your life more recently since your kids are older, if we can jump. Well, yeah, my oldest one is 45 and then 41 and then 34. So they're off and on their own right now. Mm-hmm. And um, Are they nearby? Uh, one is nearby. One is in the panhandle of Florida. And um, I have a son that lives in Cleveland. So they're fairly nearby. A lot of people couldn't handle what it is that I do and how much that I travel. But, you know, Margaret will tell you, uh, we load up the truck together, right? That's your assistant, Yes. Yes. 25 years. (laughs) What? 25 years. Yes. Um, And uh, it is, I get excited. I get jazzed. I'm pumped. We've made this work. And now we get to go see, will the people like it? Will the people buy it? I don't know. So. And and so what what keeps you going every day? What, what, What do you wake up excited about? Well, this morning I woke up excited. The kiln is firing throughout the night. I get to get up in the morning and see um, what the temperature is. I don't know, the whole process, the whole entire process from making the work to glazing the work to firing the work. And I think the thing that means the most to me is that I, as soon as I get bored with something, I'm often running on to something else. I never, no matter how successful it is, if I wake up that morning and I say, I'd rather stick my finger down my throat than make another one of those, mm-hmm. I don't do it. You don't do it. And that's how I keep it fresh. And that's how I keep it exciting. Yeah. And and so, the you know, your, your lesson of what, if you had to really put your life into what you've learned through this process of, of making art that people love and buy and you, and you have installations in many places and the places you've traveled. So tell us a little bit about the travels and maybe what you've learned from those where you've been and how that's informed your work. Well, I think the two things that inspire my work, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it right down to travel and nature. You know, I, I, I have a BS in horticulture industries. I have, when we moved here, we planted 18,000 trees. 
um, red oak, white oak, tulip, poplar, green ash. And so I'm trying to get you more into your into your heart and soul about your art, because there's okay. a lot there that I'd love to hear about. Like, okay. so, so you change the colors, but what, what is, has nature, what, what, what inspires you most? Where are the lessons that, 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 that want to come through you in your art from nature or from your travel? Well, I've been told that my work has a strong Asian aesthetic. And I don't know if I told you this before, but I've had five exhibitions in Bangkok and one on the island of Phuket. Beautiful. And I've traveled all around the Pacific Rim. So I don't sit out and say, okay, I'm going to make something that's Asian looking right now. But it just seems to, to pop up in my work. Um, it just seems to be there uh, in a very natural way. Um, I don't do representation representative represent representational work you know that's why when big commissions come up from a city and they want boats on a river and the people and the stuff that's not me you know i have to throw the glaze on and throw the stains on and and work in a more organic way and yes it sounds like it comes just out of you out of you know so many years of doing this and then you were talking about your trees around you, because I always love trees. So how, do, how does that, not just the color, but how do the, maybe the trees inspire you, having seen their growth? How does that kind of inform what you do with, the, with whether the colors or the spirit of those, of nature? Well, we actually use the bark of a tree to give the texture on some of our tile pieces. <clears throat> and I love trees so much that uh, about, I don't know how many years ago, I was in Africa. Have you ever heard of the baobab tree? Yes, I love that beautiful gnarly tree. Yes. And, um, you know, the, the, the myth is that the gods threw it down from the heaven and they landed upside down because it's a tree that looks like it's upside down. So when I was in Africa, our guide was telling us about the trees and I was standing in front of the tree and I was, I, you know, I was really trying to look into the deep crevices of the bark and I just leaned forward and I kissed it. And my friend that I was with there at the time, Ann, says, did you just kiss that tree? Now, keep in mind, I planted 18,000 trees on this farm, never kissed one. But I'm in <laughs> Africa. <laughs> uh, but I'm in Africa, and I'm looking at this tree that looks ancient, you know. And it, it does. If you Google Baobab, it looks like the roots are up in the air. So it's just a feeling I get. Um, you know, it so, sounds um, like you kind of like the idea of something turning, not necessarily being what, what we expect, like turning things around. Like that's a lot of the work. It sounds like you're trying to create anyway, this surprise, like sounds like you enjoy being surprised. I do. I do. And that's another thing that um, doesn't let me sleep late the day after a firing because I wake up at three or four and I say, okay, I get to peek in the kiln today. But I tried to hold off until Margaret gets here <laughs> so we could both look in the kiln together. Because every tile that you saw in my booth, they were all made by Margaret. She puts the texture in them. I lay them out. They're in numerical order. I glaze them. I put the stains on them. I fire them. And then I turn them back over to Margaret. And she's the one who adheres them to the plywood and makes them a wall unit. So I don't want to 
I didn't want, I don't want to steal that surprise. So I try to wait for her, but I, it doesn't always happen, but it usually does. What, to a, wait gra- for Margaret what, what, a, what a great team. So, so if you had to think of this stage of your life and how, how are you enjoying it differently now that your kids are raised and that you don't have to necessarily think about their way. I mean, I think you said that they're all doing fine and on their yeah. own. So yes. how, how is, and how, how is this stage of your life give you more freedom? What, what do you, what would you say you feel about it? Do you notice the aging? Is that hard? Or are you noticing uh, as well some other things? Well, there are some other things like <clears throat> November the 5th of 2015, I had brain surgery because um, I had TBI in the military. For, so from 2011 to 2015, my work was not that great. I was not that great. I actually thought about checking out of this world. But now I read an article maybe 30 years ago, how an artist produces their best work between 60 and 80. So now I'm 70. I got 10 more years to go, according to that person. And it's just, I do feel I'm producing my best. Um, I don't know how this will sound, but I'll say it anyway. I'm, I'm sitting in my booth and I have never heard so many wows. The people come by and that's a typical word that comes out of their mouth when they're in front of my booth. Wow. And to be 70 and producing work that still wows the people is just amazing to me. Amen. Amen to that. I love that you still feel this. This, That's the vitality of, of aging in a way that you've been authentic to your mission after going through challenges, after looking ahead to how you can continue to, to, to create, to really create for the world that can respond to you. It's a, it's a gift that you all out there give to me. It's yeah, humbling. It is. Right? And <clears throat> I like when I go to a show and somebody says, hey, we have a piece of yours. And then they whip out their phone and they have a shot of it, you know, and, and they say that it just brings them joy every day. Or they, if it's a big piece, they say, you know, we're still not really sure if we found our favorite tile on this tile wall piece, you know. And so it, it, I've been fortunate. Wow. They're still looking for their favorite tile in their own pieces. Yeah. So, so you went, you've glossed over this idea of, of, this, of the surgery that you went through that was yes. life-changing. Can we just go back to that for a moment? Like, what do you think the lessons you took from that uh, to live your fullest life? What would you say you um, took from that? Just, you know, I'm a worker bee. That's why I told you from 11 to 18, I work six days a week. I love to work. Um, you know, I never thought once I fell in love with clay that I would be retiring at like 65 or something. That's not for me. The things you've learned most, do you think, whether it's through the sickness or what, what are the lessons that you feel like you want to convey to people and to your kids, yeah. for example? What are the things that you want to really leave as a legacy of your lessons that learned? Uh, if you are doing something that you feel like you're just skating by in life and it's not really working for you and it's nothing that you have a passion for, you know, you got one shot. This is one shot. And if you're not doing what you love, then you better change it. And that's the most important point that I would like to make today. If you're not loving it and you're just saying, well, I've got bills and I've got this and I have kids. Terry and I had kids and Terry and I had bills. 
we would pawn personal possessions to feed the family. Uh, in June, living in Columbus, I would go to High Street. I would sell my blood for 50 bucks um, so that we can get uh, a birthday present for Ashley. A cake and a candle, a cheap bottle of Avia wine for Terry and I at buck 99. It was terrible wine. And you just have to commit yourself to that. And also maybe even have a, a little bit of a casual disregard for the law because three times the city of Columbus came and shut off my water and three times I turned it back on. Wow. <laughs> and then there was a nasty note on the door that says, you do that again, we're probably going to file charges. And, th and that kind of upset me because I'm buying the house. Do they think one night I'm going to pick up the house and run away and never pay my water bill? Um, no. So you got to do some rules are made to some rules are made I to be so. broken. I mean, so do you, do you think your kids learn from you and do you think they follow their passions? I know my, I know I, they do. Yes. But I do. It's like if you're, if you're an actor in Hollywood and you've reached a modicum of success, your kids may or may not want to do it uh, because they, they know how hard you struggled. You know, like only 2% of us artists make a living doing this work. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's come back to the fact that what, what you're, you don't have to tell me what each of your kids do, but how do they, how's your relationship with your kids? And I'll, actually, I meant to ask you if you lost your wife. Terry or, uh, or died of blood cancer on the day that Obama was elected the first time. Now, we weren't together at that time. We were already divorced, but it was an impact. And certainly on my two young daughters. Um, so uh, my relationship with my son is strained. I think he would have loved to have been a full-time artist, but he got himself in a little drug trouble. And I think he wanted to blame me for that. And so it's a little strained, but I do hope that the four of us used to come down to the farm here and have a good time. And I hope that that will happen again. I love that you still dream of that because when we put up the intention, then we hope that we can make that happen. So I love that you dream of that. Anything else before we finish up about any surprises along the way that you would also like that you haven't talked about yet? I would simply say that if you are an artist and you think that doing art fairs is beneath you, keep in mind that my all my Thailand exhibitions happened because I was at an art festival south of Cleveland. A couple walks into my booth, they buy a plate, they, they were Norwegians, they say, don't send it to Oslo where we live, send it to Bangkok where my company is sending me for the next five years, and you ought to have an exhibition. <clears throat> I said to myself, honestly, yeah, right, right, right. Then six months later to the date, I get a letter. I'm in Columbus doing an art festival. My daughter says, hey, we got this letter with all these strange stamps on it. I says, open it. It's that couple saying that they have three venues for me to choose from. And if I can afford to get my work here, and if I can get myself here, I could have exhibi an exhibition in Bangkok. <clears throat> and so I called the cultural attache of the U.S. Embassy. And I'll be honest, on your podcast, I saw the word attache and I said, well, what is a cultural attache? <laughs> I didn't even know how to say the word, but now it kind of rolls off the tongue. And um, so surprises like that or you meet people and they want to help you and they want to give you big commissions and like the woman who we're doing 550 tiles for um there are 
just at this stage and stage of my life, more pleasant surprises than unpleasant ones. And that, that's certainly how it should be. Well, that's a beautiful way to end our interview today. That that if we if we're open to them and we don't, nothing's aren't beneath us. I love that. That surprises can come, like just putting your head, you know, you really are hand to the mill to the grind. Like you're you're working it, you're deep in it, and you've created beautiful, beautiful work for the world. So I really want to thank you so much, so much for your time today, Tom. And we will send people to tomradka.com. Mm-hmm. And it'll be in the blo- in the notes with some of the beautiful work we'll have photos of from his website on our website so that you can find Tom on his website. And I really thank you so much for your time today. Before we summarize this week's episode, here is a preview of our next week episode with Kayla on mindfulness in Act 3. So when I started to recognize that I was showing up in a false way, when I was looking happy, but I really was not. When I was looking like I wasn't angry, but I was angry. A lot of stuff came out. It's almost like a junk drawer in the kitchen that you've been stuffing with junk for your whole life. And pretty soon, like nothing's fitting in the junk drawer anymore and you can't find anything. And you feel like, you know, you don't even want to open that drawer. It's so scary. And then finally, you just take the drawer and you dump it on top of the kitchen counter. And you look through all the bits and bots and it's ugly. And then that horrible, like, you know, candy bar that has now become moldy. You know, you, you deal with the thing that you haven't dealt with. And for me, it was ugly. I had childhood trauma that I pretended I didn't. I had cultivated a mask that looked really, really socially acceptable. And it was a big fat lie. So what I love about this episode is that you don't have to have brain surgery, a breakdown, a major trauma in order to kind of have the realization that these ages are times we can really be our best and the and let the wisdom of, of our years integrate into a spiritual, sensitive, a creative outlet that I think that this this real this interview really demonstrates. And not only that, I what I feel about it is also that you've got to find some creative out, outlet before you get to the open nester stage, before you get to the years of where all of a sudden you have times on your hand. And he had it. He, he actually made a career out of his art, which is incredible art. However, he had it, and now in his 70s, he is just flourishing and continuing uh, to build art and to make art and it's it's creative outlet. So we thank you, Tom Radka, and really wish you continued journeys of bringing art to the world and hope that other people are inspired to try their hand even at this age and not get stuck in old patterns and see ourselves as vital all the way even past 80. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely past 80. Uh, yeah, so we love you to send us a comment about this episode and any others on our website, theopennesters.com. That's the openester, double N in the middle, S at the end. We love to hear from you. If you know of anyone who has a great story of uh, Act 3, we would love to hear from them. 
And please join our community and our social media. You can find us on Instagram, The Open Nesters, and our closed private Facebook page, which we're growing that community as you share. And please continue to share as we thank you so much for being our audience that is growing, creating, and creating so many interesting areas of life at this stage of life. And what I also want to direct you to is that I'm trying to help people play more. And so this episode talks about that. I hope you'll take a look at the tab or the the page of Tessa, because I would love to hear from you as well. To email me directly would be wonderful. Yeah. And again, thank you for being such a loyal audience. We really, really appreciate it. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.